You are listening to audio from New Life Foursquare. For more information about our church, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org. I want to talk to you today about your confidence. I feel like this is a theme that, that's being highlighted in my own soul for me, uh, and, and I believe also for our church in this, in this season of time where, where we felt like we've received a very clear invitation from the Lord to seek his face over the summer. And that's why you're here seeing the prayer guides and whatnot. And so I want to encourage you to, to just partner with us. You know, take those prayer guides that we've given you and use it in your family. You know, I think last, last Saturday, Father's Day, uh, Pastor Ron encouraged the, all the dads in the room to take responsibility and the spirit, take the reins, so to speak, in terms of the spiritual leadership of your household and gather your family together for prayer. We're, we're here to just help equip you to do that, to help give you tools to do that and inspire you a little bit. That's why we're gathered here. The real stuff happens when we leave this place, folks. This is just equipping time. And it's also a healing time for you to get mended in your soul, in your heart. Um, I've got so much. Lord, just help me to keep this straight today. Uh, I, I want to say something. I, know I never do this, and you know this because you see me not do this a lot. But I need to give a word to Jasmine. Where's Jasmine? Did she step out? Jazzy, are you up there? Okay, I can't see. All right. Um, I, I saw a picture of you when you were leading worship this morning, and you were standing in front of, you were standing on a stage, and you were singing out whatever song that was you were singing. And in the audience, it was dark, but all I could see, pe- were, I didn't see people in the audience. I saw, like, you know how, um, like these lamps that are in the corner like that, there's like a light inside the lamp, but these are heart-shaped lamps, and they were red. And... And I could see a very dim light in those, in those heart-shaped lamps that were all full. It was full. The audience was full of these heart-shaped lamps, but the light was dim. And as you were singing, those, that light, it was like somebody turned the fader up. And the light started to get brighter and brighter and brighter. And then, you, then I could see hands going up. I don't know what they were responding to, but there was something in your song. And I think the song is representative of your life. I'm just going to take a shot at this right now. It's representative of your life that the Lord is going to bring you out of a place of silence now into a season of speaking out. It's not just singing. It's not just about singing. That's just the metaphor. It's like Isaiah 54, sing, O barren. You who were never with child, like you've been in a season of kind of felt dry, but, but God's moving you out of the silence now. And, and with confidence that when you sing, hearts are going to get lit up. And when you minister and when you live, that's a metaphor for your life, okay? So, so go get it. <laughs> and you know, the way the prophetic works, I think, we're just learning, and I'm just learning at all this as well. After years of doing this, I'm still learning. The way it works is if, it, if the shoe fits for you, wear it. So there's some of you here who have been living in the silence of shame, in the silence of condemnation for a long time. And you come to church because you feel obligated. You come to church because you feel guilty. You come to church because it keeps your family together. But God wants you to come for a deeper reason. He wants you to start taking your place as sons and daughters. That's what I want to talk to you with you about today. But I want to tell a joke because this is a really good joke. You ready? I'm going to read it because I can't memorize this. There's just too much going on this week. A five-year-old Johnny told his daddy that he'd like to have a baby brother. And he offered to do whatever he could to help. His dad was a very bright 35-year-old, and he paused for a moment, and he said, okay, I'll tell you what, Johnny, if you pray every day for two months for a baby brother, I guarantee you, God will give you one. So Johnny responded really eagerly in his dad's um, challenge, and he went to his bedroom every night, 
And he started to pray for a baby brother. And he prayed every night for a whole month. But then when he told his friends what he was doing, his friend said, that's impossible. That's never happened before. So being the really faith-filled, believing little boy that he was, he quit praying after a month. And after another month goes by, two months goes by, and um, Johnny's mom eventually went to the hospital. And she came back home. Johnny's parents called him into the room. And as he cautiously walked into the room, not expecting to find anything, all of a sudden, he sees this little bundle. And so he goes right up to his mom and his dad, and his dad pulls back the blanket, and there's another bundle. So mom gave birth not to one, but to two. She had twins. Johnny's dad finally looked down at him and said, Johnny, aren't you glad that you prayed? And Johnny hesitated a little, and he looked up at his dad, and he said, yeah, Dad, but aren't you glad that I quit when I did? Because <laughs> if I would have kept praying, you might have had triplets, right? Such great faith. Have you ever felt like God is answering everyone else's prayer but yours? Or have you ever felt like everyone around you is getting blessed but you? In our life and journey as believers, I often think we we experience this gap between who we are and who we think we should be. It's kind of a gap. Some theologians call it a sanctification gap, you know. But the gap is basically between all the great and wonderful promises we see in God's word and the reality you're experiencing right now, like everyone's getting blessed but me. You know, it's like, you go to church long enough, and some of you have been here a long time. You've been to church for 10 years, right? And you're engaged with God as much as you know how to be. You even maybe started trying to, you know, experiment with tithing because we tell you every week it's good and all that stuff. And, and you're trying to obey and, you know, claim the promises of God. And then somebody new comes to church, right? They get saved one Sunday, and they're just excited about Jesus, right? And they come back. You know, they, they come to church for about a month, and they come back the next month, and they go, man, God is so good. I've got a testimony. Man, I just, I just got saved. I just started coming to this church, and man, I won the lotto. Isn't God good? Isn't God amazing? I praise God for this church. I've been coming to church for a month, and look how God blesses me. And you're sitting back going, I don't know if he's that good. Like, I've been coming to 10 years, for 10 years. I've been, tie, I've been trying to at least tie them and trying to engage. Like, how, how come, where's mine? Right? And so, <laughs> sometimes we go through these seasons where, like, our reality of life, the reality we're experiencing doesn't quite match up with the promises of the scriptures. And in that gap, it's easy for us to lose confidence in God. And so today, I want to tell you what I believe is, is a key, if not the main key, to your confidence as a Christian. You ready? The key to your confidence is found in your identity orientation toward God. I just coined that phrase, all right? But you'll understand what I'm talking about in a second. Because the key... To break in some of the chains off of your life, the chains of fear and shame and doubt and all the stuff that you 
experience in your internal world that keep you from living the way God has intended for you to live, the key to that is in your identity orientation. Because there are three, at least three ways that you can view and orient yourself towards God. When it comes to relating with God, there's three categories that we usually live out of when it comes to relating to him. The first one, well, I'll give you the three of them, and then I'll explain um, in depth a couple of them. The first one is, say it with me, orphan. The first one is called orphan. The second one is called slave. And, of course, the third one, which God wants us to live out of, is we call sonship. All right? So let me talk a little bit about, let me give you some characteristics. These are just generalizations, okay? And I want to offend anybody here who may be in this situation kind of in a natural sense. Maybe you were a natural, like maybe you grew up as an orphan. I don't know. You know, or maybe someone listening to me right now did. So this is not like in any way meant to try to categorize you or put, put you in a box or anything like that. I'm just giving some general, general characteristics of, of how orphans think, okay? So orphans are those who have permanently lost connection to their parents, though uh, through various means. So sometimes they're orphaned through a death, the parents die. Sometimes it's through displacement, like what we see all this, these refugees, you know, in the world. They lose their parents somehow. Sometimes their parents walk down on them. So either way, they've lost connection permanently to their parents. And when they live in this kind of orientation, there are a few realities and a few characteristics. First of all, orphans are always seeking identity and belonging. Okay, unlike those who were born into a family where there was a basic and consistent sense of like love and belonging, orphans lack this. Their sense of relational location is missing. And so what, what they do is they end up wandering. They wander. They go from place to place to place to place to seek some assurance, to seek some kind of security. You know, the orphan mentality sometimes shows up when, when I see folks who are dissatisfied continually with where they work or continually where, with where they go to church. And they go from place to place to place. Sometimes they're dissatisfied continually with the relationship they're in. So they go from relationship to relationship to relationship. They're wandering. It's a sign, possibly, of an orphan mentality. And so they wander. But underneath that wandering, there's also this desire, this striving to achieve through their own effort. Because, see, they've believed the lie that they belong to no one. And so what that tells them is you are on your own. No one is really coming to rescue you permanently. Yes, you can have a foster parent here and there, but no one is permanently going to create home for you. So you need to figure out how to survive. And so orphans... Not only do they strive because they feel this sense of I'm on my own, no one's coming for me, but that leads to this sense of settling for survival mode. And they become really good at surviving. And because they do, they often settle. They'll settle for the good instead of press in for the best. They're asking questions like, who am I? 
Where do I belong? Where is my family? Who will defend me? Where is my home? Okay, so in a spiritual sense, we're all in this category, right? The orphan mentality. And then there's the slave mentality. Slaves are owned and directed by someone else. The only place a slave has in the world is whatever place they occupy in the mind of their master. And because of that, slaves, in order to secure a place in the heart and the mind of their master, the one thing they have to do is work hard and become useful. They have to prove their worth through hard work. So if you work hard, you prove yourself useful, then you will be rewarded with basic provisions, right? You won't get cast out. You'll get fed. You'll get some shelter. You'll get some clothing. But the minute you stop working hard, the minute you stop becoming useful, then you get nothing. It's a very uncertain, precarious place to be. As long as you're useful, you have a place. You have provision. You'll be seen as valuable. But the minute you're no longer useful, you can't work, then you become a drain on the system, and your worth is gone. And so on top of that, slaves also live in fear. They live in fear of punishment. They live in fear that their failure is going to lead to punishment because they know they have no permanent place in the master's heart. So they live in fear. And uh, the master will discipline a slave to ensure that they don't behave in an undesirable way. I'm going to correct the behavior because you're still useful to me. So behave this way and I'll discipline you. I'll punish you see, to correct that behavior. Now, what's the difference between that and what we do as parents? What's the difference? The difference is, see, as a parent, you do the same thing. I need to correct some behavior in my son or daughter, right? And so I, I, need, to, I need to discipline. I need to punish. The issue is not whether discipline is right or wrong. It's whether the discipline is being done in the context of love or not. That's the difference. In a family where a child belongs, discipline is important. It's a critical tool for that child's development. But there's love there, right? The minute you extract the love, the discipline and the punishment become dehumanizing and degrading. That's when it becomes slavery. All right. So slaves, in the minds of their masters, the slaves really have no... The master's not thinking about the slave's future. And the slave knows this. All the master's thinking about is how I can help this slave become as useful as possible to me. And so the slave learns to just, str they struggle with self-love or low self-esteem self because their sense of worth is always dependent on how others perceive them. It's all about what they think about me. That's where I'm going to build my identity. And so they're always looking for others to tell them who they are. They're always looking to others to tell them what to do. And their world gets split up into two basic kinds of people. 
the ones who are superior, who direct my life, and the ones who just take the directions and follow without question. For slaves, reality is defined for them, and they struggle with self-motivation. They won't take risks. They'll always play it safe, and they live with a fear-filled dependency. Every single one of us in one way, shape, or form have been spiritual orphans and spiritual slaves. And these characteristics, these characteristics, they mark all of unredeemed humanity. But the good news is, you ready for some good news? The good news is, God in Christ has rescued us from our orphanhood and our spiritual slavery, and his answer to the orphanhood and his answer to the slavery is adoption. He has made us his own sons and daughters, like what we've been singing this whole, this is the icing on the cake, folks, okay? We've been singing this from the beginning of the service. Here's the icing on the cake. Jesus did not die for us so that God could be our master. He didn't die for us so that God could be our caretaker or our guardian. He died for us so that we could know God as our heavenly Father. Come on! Tell the person next to you, that's exciting. <laughs> the truth is that once you entrust yourself to Jesus, you become sons and daughters of God. You are like Meghan Markle, folks. You were, you were married into a royal family. You, you, you just need to start reminding yourself and acting like it because the problem here is that sometimes we don't experience the reality of God's goodness or recognize it because we're still thinking like orphans and slaves. And, and we either don't know that this is the reality and this is truth, or we do know it in our heads, but we haven't fully accepted our place in the heart of our Heavenly Father. Tell the person next to you, you've got a place in the heart of God. I just remembered a song my dad used to sing years ago. There's a place in God's heart just for you. Yeah, and you can make it Vegas style, right? There's a place in the heart of God for every one of his children just for you. And, and some of us haven't fully embraced that. You've been to church for 20 years and you still haven't fully embraced it. It's possible. I'll show you why in a second. But when we don't embrace that place in the heart of our Father, we lose a basic sense of confidence about what the, if the world is even good or not. Let me tell you so. Let me set this straight, folks. When God created the world, he said, it is good. Satan and the fall and sin distorted it. Yes, threw a little wrinkle in it. But listen, folks, the promise of our Heavenly Father is the world is good and I'm going to make it good again. I'm going to even make it better than it ever was. In the resurrection of all creation, you know how I know that's going to happen? Because Jesus is alive. You're going to live with the resurrected Christ 
in a resurrected body, in a resurrected creation one day. Come on. So let me, let me show you what I think is happening here from the scriptures. In Galatians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is dealing with, you know, he's frustrated. He, this is like one of his angry letters. He's so frustrated at the Galatian Christians because they've, you know, they started out good in faith, put their faith in Christ, you know, started seeing evidence of the Spirit's power in their, in their meetings and in their fellowship and all that. And then the, the, they started believing teaching that dragged them back to sort of a works-based salvation, right? And so Paul is like tearing his hair out. He's like, what are you doing? Like you're starting to live under the Jewish law again. No, 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 don't do that. Don't go back to slavery to the Jewish Mosaic law. And by the way, really what that was is these, these people coming into the church saying, hey, you're a Christian. Yeah, I know Paul. You, you embraced the gospel that Paul teached and taught and faith in Christ. Yeah, but you need to add to it. You need to add to it. If you really want to be a Christian, you need to go get circumcised. Yes, I know you've been baptized, but you need to become a Jew through circumcision if you want to really be saved. And Paul's like, no, no, no. And, and there are people in the church that were buying this stuff. And he's like, no, no, stop thinking like that. So he, he, the whole book of Galatians is trying to help them get their minds around their identity. Their real identity as sons and I. So he says this. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith, not through circumcision. Watch this. For all of you who were baptized, say baptized. Baptism, water baptism, is the initiation right into the Christian faith. Before that, it was circumcision. When Jesus resurrected, he's like, no need for that. That was connected to the old Mosaic law. I got a new right for you. Baptism. Okay, he says, you were baptized into Christ. You've clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile nor slave nor free nor male nor female. All the old categories of how people define themselves in the pecking orders of societies of this world, all of that is gone. All that matters is your connection to Christ through faith in him. You belong to Christ. You are then Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, watch, watch. He goes on. As if, I need to explain this further to you. Let me use an illustration. He says, what I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different than a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. Now, let me take this, let me use a little liberty here. Just take this metaphor that Paul's using here. Because there it is. He's saying, you, were, you are children of God because you've put your faith in Christ. And as children of God, that makes you an heir to all the kingdom inheritance that is God's. Right? Watch. So, if you're an heir, then you need to start living like an heir. The problem with you Galatians and the problem with us Christians is that we are children and we are heirs, but we're thinking and living like slaves and orphans. And listen, he says, he uses slavery here. He says, the reason why you're no different than a slave right now is because you are underage. You are immature. Even though you're a son or a daughter of God, you don't experience the fullness of that relationship because of your immaturity. 
When you're underage, you experience your relationship with God as a slave or as an orphan. Even though you're the owner of it all, you live as if you had nothing. Where in your life, where in your thinking are you thinking and living like a slave? Even though in your head you know you're a son and daughter. Many of you who are still struggling and not experiencing the fullness of God, maybe it's because you're still trying to relate to God as a master instead of your heavenly father. How do slaves relate to their masters? Through guilt and shame? Through obligated obedience? Through fear of punishment? And sometimes when it gets too much, they just run away. And sometimes they come back. And then they run away again. Get punished, come back. Right? We need to, we need to grow. Paul says the solution is to grow up out of this mentality. Um, years ago, when my kids were small, I remember, don't ever do this, okay? But I know some of you have. Um, I was driving up the street to my house, and I had my, my son in the car. I thought Caleb was maybe five, I don't know, four. I'm almost ashamed to confess this, but... Uh, we were just driving up the street to our house. It's a cul-de-sac back then, and so we were just driving up. And I said, hey, Caleb, come here and sit in Daddy's lap, right? <laughs> Put him in the driver's chair. You know, Put your hand on the wheel. Oh, this is fun, Daddy. You know, driving through. Like, you know, I was in complete control. I wasn't driving over the speed limit. Okay, so don't worry about it. It, wasn't, it was bad. I'm not encouraging. But you know how it is, like you're just a parent, like, oh, I want to have them feel this is so fun, whatever. And it was only a few hundred yards. But listen, if, if Caleb remembered that situation and he came back to me, you know, two, three years later at seven, and he said to me, Dad, um, I want to go out with my friends. Can I borrow the car? I will, obviously, I said, well, no, of course not. What are you, are you crazy? No, no, Dad, you... Do you remember that time when you let me drive? Right? Like, what are you talking about, man? Yeah, I know how to drive. Because, yeah, because I drove, remember? Five years old? Uh, no. I let you sit in my lap. I was holding the wheel. You, your feet can't even reach the accelerator, man. Come on. See, none of us as good parents would ever entrust our children, even though that car is his car. Yeah, in my head, that car, everything I have is yours. You're just not ready for some of it yet. Why? Because you're not, you haven't come of age yet. You haven't proven you can be trusted. Sometimes I think we're, we, we slip into that mentality where we think God is holding out on us, withholding blessings from us. Why are you blessing everybody else, God? But you, what, I've been just like the older son in the parable of the lost son, right? What did the older son say? I've been slaving for you all these years. Whoa, hang on, dude. Wait a second. You're my son. Everything I have is yours, and yet... You are looking at all your experience in, my, in our family and you interpret it as slaving? You see 
how you can get lost even in the family of God when you adopt a slavery mentality? Sometimes I think maybe God is not entrusting you with blessings and you don't see the fullness of those promises because he knows you're underage. And there are places of your soul that just need to grow up. Let me, let me, let me give a hard word to some, all right? Because what it means to grow up often is that you're actually taking responsibility. Slaves don't need to take responsibility because everything is defined for them. They don't need really to make any choices because everything is chosen for them. Maybe it's a blessing that God puts you in a situation where you have to grow up, where you have to experience some pain and come and face the music and say, there are places of my soul that have really never been touched by the gospel. And it's evident in the way I relate to my boyfriend, my girlfriend, my parents. It's obvious to other people, but you just have never chosen to see it. And then you're asking God, bless me? God, I claim these promises? God says, absolutely, I want to. I absolutely want to. But you're underage. There's an immature part of your soul. If I gave it to you, you would destroy it. Physical maturity is different from spiritual maturity. Physical maturity just kind of happens, right? All you need is time. I had this dream of my son the other day. It was more like a, a flashing picture, and it scared me. I, I dreamed that he was a foot taller than me <laughs> at 16. And I went... That's scary. <laughs> I can't push him around anymore. <laughs> I got to find other ways of motivating him, right? Physical maturity happens with time. Spiritual maturity is, has nothing to do with time, for the most part. Spiritual maturity has everything to do with choice. You can be a Christian. So you measure physical maturity, right, by time. But you don't measure spiritual growth by time. You measure spiritual growth by choice. You can be a Christian for 25 years. And coming to the same church or going to different church, whatever. And still not grow spiritually. Why? Why is that? Because you haven't been making choices that align with God's purpose and will for your life. That's how this works. And, and then you have somebody who just got saved. They've been saved for three months. But they've been making all these choices for Christ. They've been making decisions to invest in their spiritual growth. To spend time. To spend money. On their spiritual growth. And they are just like... And they're excited. They're the ones in church that are going, whoo, whoo, whatever. That's just one example. But you see, when we stop choosing, when we stop choosing to invest in our spiritual growth, hey, so you guys coming to the Love Well Conference? You guys coming? You guys coming? No, 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 Pastor. I don't have money. 
I don't have time. I don't have money. I don't have time. I don't have money. Oh, okay. That's cool. I get it. I get it. It's all good. But sometimes I think that that becomes an excuse. That that becomes, if that's a consistent response, I don't have time, I don't have money, that almost becomes an expression of spiritual adolescence. Because that's what a 15-year-old would say. Hey, come and help me. With, come and let's do it. No, I don't have time. I don't have money. Give me some money. Give me some time. I'll go. Take responsibility for your spiritual growth. Stop feeding off my faith. Stop feeding off the internet and social media and start investing. I get it. I understand. Listen, I'm not knocking any of you who are in financially hard situations, all right? I'm just saying, examine your life. Search me and know me, God. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God, where am I thinking like a slave? Where am I thinking like an orphan? Where do I need to start investing time and resources into my spiritual growth? Where do I need to step in with intentionality to the spaces where I'm challenging myself to become the person God has made me to be? And where I'm not waiting for the pastor to invite me anymore. Where I'm not waiting for people to say, come, would you want to serve here? Would you want to serve there? No, where I'm lined up outside going, where can I serve? Where I'm lined up, I'm the first one registering for that spiritual growth opportunity. Let's do it. It's done. See, you got to choose it. You got to make a decision, and then you got to make a commitment, and then you got to resolve that as if, you know, resolution is resolution. When you make a choice, I'm going to the Lovewell Conference. I'm going to serve at New Life. I'm going to attend that discipleship opportunity. I'm going to join a life group. Whatever choice you decide to make needs to become committed to the point where it needs to become a resolution. I've made the decision. It's as good as done. I just need to walk it out. <laughs> it's okay. I know this is heavy hitting right now, but it's it'll get better, okay? Just hang on. Just hang on. All right. Here, here, here's, I, I talked about serving. I, I feel like I just need to interject something here. Um, one of the ways you invest in your spiritual growth, okay, there's many ways, but one of your ways is that you free up your time to just serve God, and there's a lot of ways to serve God. Start in your family. How do I do this, right? There are places even in the life of this congregation where we need people to step up and serve. And not just the most obvious places. Yeah? As pastors, we're going to try to do our best to, to make clear what some of those opportunities might be, but uh, it would be really amazing if some of you just came up to our pastors and said, where can I serve? Here's what I got. Here's what I know how to do. What can I do to help, you know? That's evidence that you're taking ownership and that you're rejecting the slavery mentality. All right. I think you get it. Because you see, adolescence want freedom 
without the responsibility. But adults understand that freedom always comes with responsibility. Stop thinking like a slave. Tell the person next to you, stop thinking like a slave. You're a son. You're a daughter. <laughs> now, some of you, you're thinking like a slave. Others of you are thinking like an orphan. Most of it is all kind of mixed together. But let me give you a little thoughts on orphanhood. When you're living like an orphan, when you're thinking like an orphan, you ask God for the scraps. You ask God for the leftovers. You learn to resign yourself to the status quo. Slaves just exist and orphans just survive. No one's coming for me. I don't have a permanent place where my soul can settle. And so I've got to do all this on my own. And so you don't need to speak up as an orphan. You won't even ask for help as an orphan. You'll just do your best to get by settling for scraps. Jesus, that's why he steps right on the scene and he starts calling God. Well, I'll tell you, get to that in a second. He says things like this. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. This is God's response to the orphaned heart. Check this out. Orphans in an orphanage, they receive temporary, temporary love, care, basic needs, sometimes even in education. But it's temporary, right? They cannot receive the more permanent things like the intimacy of parental love and the permanent identity that comes from being a part of a family. Some of us have been relating to church not like a family but like an orphanage. I come and I get my spiritual feeding. Often I get real food as well. I, I come and I get kind of my, my religious education. Oh, that was an enlightening talk that pastor gave. Great. But you haven't yet accepted that you are truly and fully in the family of God. And so church tends to feel for you like an orphanage and not a spiritual family. Because you've got intimacy issues. When you're thinking like an orphan, you've got intimacy issues. And God's come to rescue you from that. Watch this. He goes, so also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. What he means by that is basically the, the old teaching that you were raised on. For, for Gentiles, it was pagan philosophy. For, for the Jewish people in the congregation, it was the old Mosaic code and law. He says, but... He says, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, that we might receive what? Adoption to sonship, because you are his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out. So every family has a language of intimacy. You have a language of intimacy with your spouse, right? Hi there, honey bun. Right? All you wives, honey, darling, mahal, love. Right? You husbands, or wives call your husbands, my man. Hi, my man, my love, my prince. <laughs> We're going to go there. Some of you have language of intimacy for your kids, you know. Hey, you know, my, my boys. Sup, dude? Sup, dude? Give me five. Dude. Kiddo. My daughter. Sweetie pie. Princess. 
Language of intimacy. This is what marks family. Slaves don't talk to their masters like that. Orphans don't talk to their caretakers like that. So Paul says, listen, God has come to rescue you from your orphanhood and from your slavery, and he's giving you, it's as if, he says, you don't even have a language right now for how to communicate with the way God wants to relate with you. So first, remember Jesus? He calls the heavenly Father Abba. No one ever addressed God like that before until Jesus. He gave us, and so Jesus called God Abba, which, by the way, is an Aramaic term, meaning it's a very affectionate, intimate term for the word father or dad. It's like daddy, right? Papa, peppy. You know, it's like, it's like a very affectionate term between a, a son, a daughter, and the, and, the, and the dad. In the Greek language, there was no equivalent term. And Paul, who writes this letter in Koine Greek, says, I, I, I can't think of a term, an equivalent. So I'm just going to keep the Aramaic. Abba. And by the way, for all of you Greek speakers in the audience at Galatia who don't know what Abba means, just so that you know, it's Father. Abba, Father. The Spirit gives us a new language of intimacy to use with God. Abba, Abba, Abba. And then, not only does God deal with your intimacy issue, he deals with your identity issue. He says, <laughs> it's interesting because, uh, you know, nowadays there's a lot of sort of talk about whatever issues you have in your life right now are connected to your dad. Daddy issues, right? We see it all over the movies. It's real. But not only is there daddy issues, there's mommy issues too. And, and I wonder sometimes if maybe we're making too much of a big deal out of you're that way because your dad, you know, you're trying to find your identity because your dad left. Or you, so, you know, sometimes it's not because your dad left. Sometimes it's because your dad was larger than life and you got identity issues, right? So maybe we're making too much of a big deal. The reality is we, we're all looking for something to, to be the source of our core identity, and we'll go to all kinds of things. Young people, you'll go to the mall and you'll wear certain brands because that's the brand that identifies me. And you become like mobile marketing machines. Sometimes you identify, you know, like with sports teams. Like right now, all the Laker fans in, 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 in the world are going through an identity crisis, right? Because we're living in the past and we're uncertain about our future. LeBron, come help us, right? All you Clipper fans in the room, you're living it. You're, you're an identity crisis because you have no past. <laughs> and all your warrior fans in the room, you're, you've got an identity crisis. You know why? Because you don't think your future can be any better than what it is now. <laughs> identity crisis, it's all there. Culture, we were just talking about culture with a few folks earlier, right? We identify with our ethnicity. We're looking for that core, who am I ethnically? I've lost that, and we go back to recovery. I did that when I was 19 years old. I went to the Philippines for three months or two months just because I was on a search for my Filipino side. All I've known is my American side. I'm American, but I want my Filipino side, right? I want to, who am I as a Pinoy? I went on a search, man. It helped. But, but every 
search for an identity that's outside of the identity that your creator, that only God your creator can give you, is going to fall short. That's why we keep going right back to the core identity. And here, Paul tells the Galatians, and he tells us today, the core of your identity is sons and daughters. And if you're a son and you're a daughter of God, you're also an heir. And that's where I want to close, because we're out of time, and God wants to do some stuff in your life. He's already started. It's one thing for me to think of myself as a son and daughter. I found that it was a little bit of a different feel for me to think of myself as an heir to an inheritance. Like, I own the whole estate. I married into a royal family, spiritually. Why am I still thinking? Let me, let me give you an example. When our Harbor City project just came, um, we, we did all this stuff. Many of you know we're trying to renovate the front lot. And, and now we're like two weeks away from breaking ground and we found out that the price that we're gonna have to pay is a lot more than what we have in the bank. At least, no, take that back. It's a lot more than what we have, what we anticipated and set aside for the project. And immediately, my slave orphan mentality started kicking in. Oh God, where are we gonna get the money? I don't wanna go to your people, I wanna ask for money. I don't wanna be that guy that's asking people for the people of God to give to this thing. No, I wanna, God, where are we gonna get? Fear, uncertainty, shame. Man, three years ago we said we're gonna do this and now here we are, we can't even afford this. I was studying for this message and it hit me. It's like God said to me, hey, what are you? Are you a slave? <laughs> are, you, are you an orphan? Where is this coming from, Ken? You're a son. You're an heir. My father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's got all the resources in his hand. It doesn't mean that I step back and just kind of like not take any responsibility. No, no, no. Son, you don't need to lose confidence that I'm not gonna come through here. You can be fully confident. Step into this season in faith. You're an heir, you're a son. Why is it not possible for us as a church to stake our claim in that community called Harbor City and say we're gonna develop this thing? We may not have the money in the bank right now, but it'll be there. God's people will give. Other people that aren't even part of the family of God will give. This is the confidence that comes from being a son. So, so maybe you're there too. Just, just translate it to the, your situation in life right now. Where have you been living in fear? 
where has the confidence been sort of leaking out of you and you can't seem to get it back, right? Because I'm afraid. I'm a... And then it leads to things like, you know, depression and anxiety and all kinds of things. And I wonder, I wonder if the answer is for you to say to God, God, I want to fully embrace my adoption as a son and daughter. Fully. I, I'm not even sure what it means exactly, but I want to I wanna trust the choice you've made about me. I'm worthy to be called your son, your daughter because of Jesus. Where is it in your life right now? that you're living with that mentality of an orphan, settling for scraps? Where is it that you're living with the mentality of a slave? Fear, of, fear that you're gonna get punished, guilt and shame. It's time to grow up, sons and daughters. Thank you for listening to audio from New Life Foursquare, located in Harbor City and Norwalk, California. Feel free to make copies of this audio to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or change the content in any way without permission. For more information, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org.